Well, good morning. Welcome to worship today. We're glad that you're with us, uh, either here in person or out on the patio or at home with our live stream. Um, as a lot of you know, um, last weekend, my oldest son, Wes, got married, and uh, it was such a great weekend of celebration. Went off without a hitch. Um, and you know, there are so many details um, in a wedding to attend to. Details about the vows and the music and the flowers and the wedding party. I had my speech and toast to give at the reception, um, the dancing, um, all of those details. It's easy to get lost in all the details. But you know, the most important thing at a wedding is that the bride and groom actually get married. Um, even if all the other details come together perfectly, if that doesn't happen, it wasn't a wedding. You might say that's the most important thing at a wedding. Well, what's the most important thing at a church? Churches also have a lot of details to attend to. Details about planning worship services and making agendas for meetings, managing budgets, choosing leaders, working with pastors, running programs. Details about ministry to kids, special events, outreach, small groups, student ministry, choir, and missions. Amid all those de details, what's the most important thing? Well, today we start a four-week series called Glenkirk on Mission, because I believe the most important thing for any congregation is for that church to live out its God-given mission. And here at Glenkirk, we describe our mission this way. Glenkirk is a worshiping community, inviting everyone to join in the journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, loving God and his world. Since we adopted this statement back in 2019, I have been praying about the right time to do a series to teach about this statement. For the last five months, I've been meeting every month with a handful of our elders and staff to talk about this mission and to talk about how to best communicate it. And I'm convinced that now is the time for we at Glenkirk to renew our commitment to live out this mission. See, I, I hope to be a pastor here at Glenkirk for a very long time because I love this church and because I want to be a part of living out this mission with you as we live it out together. Now, as you might have already guessed from Bill's video and from the um, artwork on the sign or on the wall this morning, we're starting today with worship. Glenkirk is a worshiping community. And worship is exactly where we should start. Bible scholar N.T. Wright says that everything else in a church's ministry starts with its worship. And in the Bible, worship is almost always something that we do with other people, that we do as a community. So what does it mean for us to renew our commitment to be a worshiping community? And to answer this question, I'm going to look in a place that may surprise you at first. I want to look at the first two of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And after we look at those two commandments, I'm going to share some of my hopes and dreams in this area of worship for Glenkirk in the days and months and years ahead. 
And so if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning from Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 4. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In verse 3, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And then verse 4, this is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. And the second commandment continues on. But this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. These first two commandments are all about our worship. Before God gives us a commandment about our families in the fifth commandment, before he gives us a commandment about marriage in the second commandment, before he gives us a commandment about truth-telling in the ninth commandment, God gives us two commandments about our worship. Worship is that important. And these commandments were not just for ancient Israel, they are for us as well. That even as God set the people of Israel free from their slavery in Egypt by rescuing them, through Jesus, God has rescued us and set us free from our slavery to sin and death. And this first commandment challenges us to make sure that we don't worship anyone or anything other than this God who has set us free. When we believe in Jesus, we belong to God. He becomes our God and we become his people. But if you've read the Bible at all, you probably know that throughout the Bible, God's people are often tempted to worship other gods. The Bible calls these other gods idols and the worship of these other gods idolatry. Worshiping idols, putting other gods before the God who has saved us is a constant temptation for God's people all the way from back in ancient Israel to God's people today. Now, most modern Americans don't literally bow down to physical idols. Our idolatry is more sophisticated in Tim Keller's book about idolatry, Counterfeit Gods, Keller defines an idol this way. What is an idol? He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God does. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. That's an idol. Keller says that most of our modern day idols are good things that we have turned into ultimate things. Good things like our devotion to our marriage or our love for our country. Good things like our pursuit of success or financial security or our families or our children. When our marriage or our country becomes more important to us than God, that's idolatry. When our children or grandchildren absorb our hearts and imagination more than God does, that is idolatry. When we rely on success or when we look to our financial security to give us what only God himself can give us, that is idolatry. 
The Reformed theologian John Calvin once famously said that human nature is a perpetual idol-making factory. And Calvin had it right. And that's why God gives us this first commandment. To make sure that we are not sharing our worship with anyone or anything other than the God who has saved us. Now, what idols are churches tempted by? Well, I believe the most tempting idol for any church is itself. Remember that an idol is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. And churches are good things that church members are sometimes tempted into making ultimate things. And it happens very subtly over time as churches start to focus their attention more and more on themselves and less and less on the God that they worship. Before coming to Glenkirk, I had been a pastor at three other churches. They ranged in size from 25 members to 4,000 members. And so there's quite a spectrum there. All three were unique and different. But all three had to continually resist the temptation to put themselves before God. When a church's ministry or its reputation or its theology or its history or its pastors begin to edge God out, that is idolatry. When a church's worship services become an extended infomercial about how great the church is, that is idolatry. When a church's members are more eager to tell their friends about their church than they are to tell them about Jesus, that is idolatry. Every church, no matter its size, will be tempted by the idolatry of itself. And being a worship community that honors the first commandment means that Jesus will always be the star of our story here at Glenkirk. Jesus will always be the one on center stage. A true worshiping community will never be more than backstage supporters to the one who's the star, Jesus. A worshiping community must continually resist the subtle temptation to want to share the stage with Jesus to be a worshiping community, we must continually resist the urge to put anyone or anything, including ourselves, before our worship of the God who has set us free through his Son. This is the first commandment. The second commandment is also about our worship. You shall not make for yourself an image. And there's actually a story in, in Exodus chapter 32 about this. You may know the story. While Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the people of Israel grew restless because it was taking so long. And so they started complaining to Aaron, the brother of Moses. And to appease the complainers, Aaron created an image. He built a golden calf out of their jewelry. And after making this image, this golden calf, listen to what Aaron says. He says, Israel... Here is your God who brought you out of your slavery to Egypt. And the people bowed down and worshiped the golden calf. In Exodus 32, 
God's people had the right God. The God who had brought them out of their slavery in Egypt. But they worshiped the right God in the wrong way. By creating an image. And bowing down to that image. Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says that people make images of God when they want to try to control God and make him like themselves. Being a worshiping community that honors the second commandment means that God alone will determine how we worship. God determines how we worship. See, the second commandment is not only about images. The second commandment is about God determining how God's people will worship. The, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, a Reformed Statement of Faith from the 16th century, I'm sure all of you have it memorized, um, puts it this way. It says, the second commandment is a prohibition against worshiping God in any manner other than what God has commanded in his word. God alone determines how we worship. Now, all of us have our own personal preferences when it comes to worship. Worship is a very personal experience, and so it's not surprising that over time we develop very strong feelings about how to worship. Some people love being led in worship by a choir. Others love being led in worship by a band. Some people love classical worship music like Bach and Handel, while others love gospel worship music like Kirk Franklin and Israel Houghton. I happen to love Gregorian chant, especially how the Benedictines chant the Psalms. It's one of my personal preferences. Some people prefer worship that follows a predictable liturgy. Others prefer spontaneity. Some people like pastors who tell funny stories about their kids in their messages. Others like pastors who do Greek word studies in their messages. We all have our preferences. And we develop those preferences from our own experiences with God in worship. There's nothing wrong with preferences. But some churches get into Game of Thrones-like battles over worship preferences. The second commandment reminds us that our preferences are not what's most important in our worship. That what's most important in worship is that we worship in the ways that God has revealed in his word to worship. And nowhere does the Bible tell us whether God prefers gospel hymns, Gregorian chants, choir cantatas, or Chris Tomlin songs. Nowhere does the Bible elevate some musical instruments above other musical instruments. Nowhere does the Bible say whether we should celebrate communion once a month or once a week or whether we should use real wine or grape juice or whether pastors should tell funny stories about their kids or do Greek word studies in their messages. Instead, the Bible focuses on worship where the Bible is accurately taught, where the sacraments are faithfully administered, and where the music brings glory to God. Being a worshiping community that honors the second commandment means that we are committed to worshiping God in God's way. Jesus alone is the star of our story, first commandment. And we worship God in God's way, second commandment. So what does this mean here at Glenkirk? 
What might it look like for us to renew our commitment to become even more of a worshiping community together? Let me share um, eight of my hopes for worship, and I'll go quickly. Glenkirk will be a worshiping community when we come to worship expecting to encounter God. Expecting it. Not, not just eager to see our friends or looking forward to good music or an inspiring message, but really expecting to encounter God. The same God who created the galaxies, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who led the people of God through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is the God we worship each and every week here at Glenkirk, the living, powerful, loving, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a worshiping community will be filled with worshipers who arrive expecting that they will encounter this God as they worship. We'll be a worshiping community when we focus on God and not on ourselves in worship. When we are careful to always keep Jesus as the star of Glenkirk's story. When we continually resist the idolatry of ourselves and shine the spotlight on Jesus. Not Jesus plus our pastors, not Jesus plus our musicians, not Jesus plus our ministries, but Jesus alone when we become so absorbed by our love for God and so filled with gratitude that God sent his son for us and so filled with adoration of God that we don't even notice if an instrument plays a bad note or if the worship leader didn't pick our favorite worship song that week or if the pastor's shirt is wrinkled. I promise I ironed this morning. We are a worshiping community when our worship is fully God-centered. We'll be a worshiping community when we confess our exclusive allegiance to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whenever we have a baptism or a confirmation or we receive new members here at Glenkirk, we confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And this is actually a very ancient Christian practice. It goes all the way back to the early 2nd century. And one of the lines of the Apostles' Creed says this, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in one Lord. We are surrounded by other lords demanding our allegiance. Lords of politics and entertainment, lords of success and pleasure and addiction, lords of greed and consumerism. When the early church said that they believed in one Lord, they were rejecting the Roman emperor's claim that he was the one Lord. Confessing the lordship of Jesus is a radical declaration because it is a rejection of every false lord that would demand our ultimate allegiance. When we confess his lordship, we are saying that all other allegiances, allegiances to friends and family, to country, to career, to politics and party, all other allegiance must find their secondary place underneath the lordship of Jesus. And we're a worshiping community when together we confess our allegiance to his lordship. We're a worshiping community when we receive biblical teaching with humble obedience. Receiving biblical teaching. Whenever any pastor teaches what the Bible teaches, 
that pastor's message communicates God's word. The, the 16th century reformers were so passionate about this, they had a saying that went like this. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. The preaching of the word is the word. So we have so much biblical teaching available to us today that we often forget this. Because we're saturated with teaching from podcasts and social media and radio, TV and church live streams. We often te treat teaching like we're ordering off a menu at our favorite restaurant. And, and we might like, you know, the Cuban sandwich over the pad thai, or we might like the carnitas tacos over the bacon cheeseburger. We consume biblical teaching according to our palates. And when we do that, we risk forgetting the fact that every time we hear a biblical teaching, God is speaking to us in it. We are being addressed by God, the living God, whenever a pastor is teaching what the Bible teaches. And if we don't respond to whatever God is saying, that teaching will do us no good. James chapter 1 warns that those who hear the word but don't do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror, then look at themselves, walk away, and forget what they saw. A worshiping community will receive biblical teaching with humble obedience. We will be a worshiping community when we celebrate the Lord's Supper with sincere faith. Jesus gave us communion, the Lord's Supper, as a gift for our worship. Jesus said to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. So, so communion looks back at what Jesus did, but it's more than that. 1 Corinthians 10.16 says that when we eat the bread and drink the cup of communion, we are participating with, we are communing with the resurrected, risen Lord Jesus Christ in the present when we eat the bread and drink the cup, as we'll be doing this morning, our souls are being nourished with God's grace and our faith is being strengthened. If we neglect the Lord's Supper or if we treat it carelessly when we do participate, we do so to our own spiritual detriment. Neglect of communion is like starving ourselves of a meal that God is offering us. And over time, people who are starving forget they were even hungry in the first place. A worshiping community will come to the table hungry to receive all that God promises to give them when they come in sincere faith. We will be a worshiping community when we receive new people with genuine love. When we welcome new people and receive them with love. The reason we receive new people during our worship services is because initiation into the Christian community is an act of worship. Whether it's a baptism or the confirmation of someone who is baptized as a child or receiving new members through their own profession of faith, we receive people into the Glenkirk family as an act of worship. Just as a Christian wedding ceremony, the bride and groom make promises as an act of worship, we make promises when we welcome people. We are a worshiping community when we make music to glorify God with praise. 
making music to glorify God with praise, whether it's our excellent choir, which starts back up again next month in our services, or our gifted organist, or, or it's a guitar solo, or a song that we sing together. Whenever our music is focused on glorifying God, we are a worshiping community when we make that music together. See, if we're not careful, our preferences can turn us into music critics, music consumers, Consumers consume, worshipers worship. And then finally, lastly, we are a worshiping community when we go back into our world as Christ's ambassadors. Authentic worship changes us. Sometimes I feel like the final benediction at the end of the service is the most important part of our worship. Because in that final blessing, we are all sent back into our community in light of what we've experienced and learned and heard, empowered to be ambassadors for Christ. Empowered to go back to our families and our workplaces, to our neighborhoods and our friends. These are just some of my hopes for worship here at Glenkirk. And I'm not saying these things aren't already happening, because some of them are. But I believe now is the time for us to renew our commitment to being a worshiping community. Because if we get worship wrong, nothing else we do will matter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of worship, for the gift of being able to come together, to hear your word taught, to celebrate the sacraments, to make music, to pray to receive and welcome one another. Father, may we be a congregation that is content to be backstage while you are the star of our story. When people hear about Glenkirk and they think about Glenkirk, Lord, may they not think about our pastors or our elders or our ministries or our facility or our theology. May they think about you. Father, thank you for loving us and the invitation to be a worshiping community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.